Hi guys, welcome to Art Talk with April, season three. I'm April Harris of Inked April, located in Birmingham, Alabama. We have some wonderfully inspiring artists on this season. Let's get started. Welcome to Art Talk with April. Today we have Kat Chapat. Kat, how did you get into art? Well, I got into art, and it's a funny story. When I was probably about three years old, four years old, and it was my calling, my mother used to read to me, and also she used to sometimes illustrate while she was reading and draw pictures or tell me funny stories. And she drew a um, pony for me, and and she put high heels on it and a dress. And I was very frustrated and very angry. And in my little mind, of course, couldn't have a dress on and couldn't have high heels. And it was kind of a challenge for me to draw better or show her what it was supposed to look like. And it turns out that as an adult, I ended up drawing horses in high heels with dresses. So surrealism, <laughs> and, <laughs> surrealism is a really important part of art. Yes. Oh, that's so wonderful. Did you go to um, any kind of school or um, are you self-taught? I mean, I guess you started when you were very young. I was young and I had two parents that embraced um, artistic risk taking and lived in an area of New York that was in a, a Westchester area, Hudson River Valley, where many, many famous artists gathered and taught classes. Um, yeah. One of my earliest experiences was working, I think I was seven years old, and I was painting bricks for the the background scenery for Barbara Streisand's Hello, Dolly. And any yeah, right? And, <laughs> and as a baby, and any time a famous artist came into town, they would have me take lessons with them. So I took photography from the famous Roman Vishnak, who did Life magazine covers. I worked with Sam Sabat, who was a horse illustrator. Um, There were just so many people that I was lucky to actually spend time with and work with. And then it just was a natural procession for me to, to go right into all art forms. There's nothing been done, so I just love it all. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing! What what a great way to grow up, honestly. Oh my goodness, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and then to have all of those influences, you know, show you how to do different things. So, like, um, did you immediately go into like? pen and ink drawings or did you try some other things or what is your things and I and I had to um but I took watercolor I did like to watercolor I used to do murals for restaurants um first business and art was to pay my way through school and that was doing fabric sculpture for the gazebo in New York City which wow. um, which opened up a lot of it was on Madison Avenue, so that opened up an enormous amount of um, kind of income for me and connections. So sure. that was pretty cool. That was cool. Um, so I mean, you've basically done all these different types of mediums. I guess I'm wondering because, like, your work today is so amazing. I absolutely love it. I can't tell you. And then. It's um, also very well done. It's, it's, you know, the pen and ink style. It's one of my favorites personally. And I just love the way that you go about creating these sort of fantasy scenario worlds. It's just, I mean, like you can start looking at it and just find more and more and more going yeah. on. The devil is in the detail, right? Yes, yes. And I'm a fan of detail. I, I'm just crazy for it. So um, you were doing all of these different kinds of mediums, like um, 
And I believe you're also an artist educator, correct? I am. I am. I think Picasso once said it took him a lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. And I found one of my greatest joys in my career is working with kids because I have to undo, first of all, a lot of the things that were done to them growing up, which uh, it's, it's kind of like they're molded into certain concepts and they're in boxes. And for me as an art teacher, who's completely out of the box to begin with, to work with kids to kind of open their eyes and say, hey, take risks, make mistakes, see what we can do with that. That's really, really important for children. Developmentally, it's really important to give them that freedom and not to be judged on how well they make art, but to not judge them at all and have them immerse themselves in the whole the whole creativity aspect of it. Yes. I oh, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like for me personally, art is such a human thing to do and it shouldn't be just what there's not just one way there's not just one correct way to make art and the actual act of making art and learning and going through kind of like the struggles and then overcoming that and keep going you know it teaches resilience and adaptability it does and there's kind of a I'd, I'd like to say a juxtaposed um stance on that if you talk about putting art into a system that is judged by how you walk and how you talk and how you march like the education system it it creates it's like different than anything else you get in school it's a place where you get to make up the story yeah um, so it's and regular school is not there are certain things you have to meet I mean you do with the state standards and um, certain stipulations as an art teacher you have to meet but it's very different than the other parts of school it's very it's a very different animal that creativity part I just love it I like being that person that the kids can go to to you know feel what they need to feel it's kind of fun I really love it and just, you know, being able to be around, like, groups of kids that are, they're just so creative. I mean, it, especially if they haven't gotten to a place where someone has told them what's not okay, you know? Like, the younger yeah. they are and the less experienced they are, the more creative they actually are. Whereas, like, if they've had art classes previously and they've been told something they've been steered in a certain direction yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely and also the fact that I know so many different mediums and so many styles of art and I can do anything with them from showing them how to use a router and etching glass and using um you know wool and roving and doing a mural I since I've done so many things, I kind of have the ability to have a really full art studio at school. In a school, they walk in and they don't get taught. I ask them what they've seen on Instagram, what they've seen on TikTok, what do they want to make and to make it. So it's totally a studio art atmosphere. And um. it's my job to keep up with each kid. If I have 20 kids, one of them may be building a sculpture. Another one may be felting a box. Oh, my gosh. Another student may be doing ancient wire-wrapped jewelry. And it's, so you, you have 20 projects going on at one time, and you're facilitating that. And it's actually an awesome, awesome way to teach art. Yes. inspire each other. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So one of the things that... Um, I I have taught art in, in different ways, but not nearly to the extent that you have, I'm sure. But there's that, that moment where the child doesn't believe in themselves. They don't, they're kind of stagnated or they're not able to trust the process and be brave. 
what do you tell kids when they're at that place where they're like, I can't? That's such a gorgeous question. I absolutely love that question. And that's the first thing that happens when they all walk into a studio art class. I said, they say, okay, you know, what are we doing? And I said, no, no, what are you going to do? And you can sit there, you can research, you can do whatever you want until you find something. Now, if they're stuck, I've had students stuck for two or three days. They'll see somebody else starting a project a lot of times. And they say, I think I want to try that. And they use that other student as kind of their guide and as, Mm -hmm. as help. And by the end of the term or the semester, that student that had the most trouble starting usually ends up being the most prolific, hungry artist in the class because they realize they had the license to fail and continue and not be judged for it. But there were so many things at their fingertips that they could use that they had been starved for. So they just go whole hawk. They just love it. Wow. Uh, And that just makes me like, so in thinking of children and the other side of the coin of that, in adults, just being able to embrace creativity and making and start you know mm-hmm. how important that is just to keep trying and to kind of get over that that starting line I guess and that's so interesting that they sometimes work off of another student to kind of guide almost guide them into the process yes yeah now when I've taught um college for like creativity in the classroom was a class I like to teach, Um, helping people that are generally not creative, that are going into the teaching profession. They, they need a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) They need a lot of work. They're harder to teach than kids for sure. You would think it would be the opposite, but um, you know, to give them license and resist saying, oh, no, you can't do that, or that's not how trees look, or we're all going to do this at the same time. We're even judging kids on what their creative means are. That's very hard for adults. Yes, yes. I think at some point, you know, someone has said, you know, you can't, or that's not good enough, or, and that really sinks into a person's soul, and they it's hard to let go of it. I think when someone truly believes that they cannot do it. No, it's funny. The only thing I grade them on really is finishing the project and also how professionally they do their digital upload. Cause that is important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Isn't it? Oh my goodness. That's so wonderful though. I love, I love talking about art and education and, um, you know, I've spoken to many artists who they either had that teacher in their lives that just gave them license and supported them and led them through it so that they do it as adults and they create still to this day, or they've got this teacher in life that told that just crushed their spirit and told them no, you're, that's wrong, you can't do it. And then they stop for a period of years and then they end up trying again as adults and really loving it. It's one of those things, I can get on a real soapbox about it because it just yeah. breaks my heart. Yeah, and I've, yeah. I've also had those wonderful influences in my past that I have lost, teachers that have been near and dear to me. And, um, you know, some of their art hangs in my house, more of their art than my art. Um, I just, I I just, it's very close to my heart. And even sometimes students that I've had that are near and dear to my heart. One of them recently had a tragic accident. He was one of my closest students and he, he died. And it was, it was, I had PTSD from it. It just absolutely crushed me. Because he was one of my students that was going into art professionally when he got out of high school. Wow. And it was it was so heartbreaking. 
was just so hard. Uh, I can imagine. I'm so sorry that. Oh, yeah, terrible. But you know, it's a passionate career to go into. Um, You know, I don't. A lot of times, I do art just to do it. I just do art just to do it, and it it gives me something to do. But other times, it may be something that I feel passionately about, and I have to put those hidden messages in my work. Some work is just detailed and fun and whimsical, and other stuff. Is, is cries, emotional cries, or emotional messaging, or symbolic messaging. And those are the pieces that I get the most flack about. Oh, <laughs> They're most no. controversial. And like the beekeeper, which is a pencil piece. And people yeah. freak out when I post that. They oh freak out. Wow. Well, it's one of those things where do you feel like well, for one thing, I'm not I'm not quite sure what your process is about going, you know, like creating your ideas. Do you plan significantly ahead of time before you do these drawings or are they kind of just in the moment, very I'm 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 drawing these major artworks, but then I have a creative moment or an idea or let me put this into Yeah. Okay. So I have many different processes. I have processes where people hire me to cover certain aspects or an illustration that they want done. So Mm -hmm. I create a storyboard and I collect all my images from all over the internet, like an AI computer in my own head. And I'll, I'll, I'll do a folder and I'll put all those images together and I'll stare at them and I'll look at them and I'll combine those things to get from point A to point B. Then there's the other aspect where it's almost like a drunken stupor, although it's not because I was drinking. Um, When I had breast cancer and I went through radical surgery and I was pretty much by myself for the entire thing, I created the strongest works. I think five days out of the hospital, I was drawing in my bed, And those are probably my most gut felt pieces. And so I have that dark side where I go or some issue that happened to someone that I see on the news or something that I think is unjust or unfair. Those are things that appear in those emotional pieces. And then other pieces, I want to create symbolism and I go about finding symbols and combining them. Um, That piece would be. I'm just thinking things that might have Norse mythology or yeah. something. Yeah. So you've probably seen a couple of my pieces that will, you know, bring that to mind. And they're just like, they're well done as far as detailed, but they also are simply just symbolism. Mm-hmm. They simply are symbolism. And um, uh-huh. yeah, that's it. I love ink because that's what I can afford. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of, <laughs> When you're a starving artist, yes, I'm a teacher, but teachers and Georgia <laughs> are not the highest paid career. Oh, um, tell me about city. it. <laughs> and so I come home from work at night. This is a process thing for me. And some nights I collapse. Other nights I drink a cup of espresso after work or two cups of espresso. And I have to force myself to put four to six hours a night after work into drawing. Otherwise, I have nothing turned out. Nothing. <laughs> Over the past two weeks, you've seen nothing for me. Um, but I did, I did complete three entries for the high art competition this year instead of one. And I did get chosen for the top 150 which was yeah. a big deal because it's worldwide and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of entries and they're gorgeous. But that was an illustration that I had to actually work on. So I've turned out three last month and I got fried out. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so um, I'll be back into it. <laughs> soon. That is so exciting. And I think you've, you've done the high art competition before right yes last year I took second and I was I had no idea I could even place I was 
I think I woke up the entire neighborhood jumping up and down and screaming when I wanted because I just felt like somebody recognized little old me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. I mean, I, that's, and I, I feel like um, you've been like repres- well, represented, you've been like in, um, I want to say shared by like bizarre, beautiful bizarre. Yeah. Yes. And, um, were you, did you have um, a post in or something on high fructose? I did. My kilowatt birds were on high fructose and I sell oh, a lot yeah. of those prints. That particular piece is so whimsical and it really is. I, I would like to actually make toys out of those birds or do more with them. I have three wow. people, those crazy birds. And they have Bakelite faces that are the old electrical receptacles. And high fructose yeah. that. That was kind of a really great hit for me. And I have to thank High Fructose Magazine specifically for posting that because it really helped me get noticed, you know, just so that people actually followed me. Yeah. That was it was a that was a great help. I, I don't sell a lot of art. I mostly just do it for my own pleasure. But that was a, a great one. I'm trying to think yeah. what's beautiful bizarre. Yes, beautiful bizarre. Just recently, I think probably six months or eight months ago, posted Tulipa. And I just sold that original piece um, after wow. I had it scanned. But there are limited, I do limited prints like of certain things that people have purchased with their permission. So Tulipa now lives, I think, in Texas, but that person can correct me if they hear this. <laughs> but it might be Massachusetts. My brain is shot. But yes, that, that beautiful drawing has left my ownership. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting. I feel like like I follow a lot of like um, that type of art and that sort of realm of artists and it's so just so cool that you're being noticed by those different entities like um have you had any like interaction with juxtaposed by any chance um I'm trying to think if I did it was like eons eons ago maybe six or seven years ago I have been on surreal art universe there's um there's a couple places that have really, really given me a lot of nice kind of exposure. I think that that's been very helpful too. In this world of everything is on a phone, you know, it's both good and bad. It's bad because you don't sell as much art sometimes. And I asked a classroom full of eighth graders this question. I said, gosh, I have all this art for sale, all this beautiful handmade art. And some of it I would gladly sell. Some of it I won't sell. And why don't you think any of my art sells? And the kids said this. They said, why would you buy it if you can get it for free by just looking at it on your phone? So that in itself, out of the mouth of babes, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, and so, you know, every now and then I will sell a piece, and I'm really happy to see it go because I can't take it with me, and I have to get my art out of my house. (laughs) I'm going to die soon, I think. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, you should, like, have a – look at me giving you you tips. (laughs) I like tips. (laughs) I have a tip job. Like a jot, like a put on an exhibit or something, or a self, you know, something that you put on, or yeah, I I plan on it. I plan on hopefully when I retire, I'll have a big enough body of work to just go around and make prints of things and sell things. But being a teacher, you don't have any time to do this, even mm-hmm. even on a on a holiday, which is like a week. There's no way to get things organized, so they just fall on that particular holiday. So it makes it makes it difficult for artists that don't use art as a full time career to be as flexible as they would like to be, because sure. those people that have either a spouse or someone to support them or a significant other 
have a little bit more flexibility. They can pack up a van and do a show. They they can do art full time. So that does make a difference. Um, and it's something to think about. You know, if you go into art as a career, you, there are career choices that you have to make. And being a starving artist is nothing anybody needs to be doing. Sure, sure. I think that's so, that's really interesting. It's going to lead to my next question here. How do you feel about, so I've, I've, I've spoken to different, to different women artists and they all kind of handle things differently. Some, you know, they have a full-time career, their, you know, their day job, and then they're artists in the evening or whatever, the weekends. And then you have, um, women who've chosen to put their art aside to be a mother um, and then attempt to come back, you know, plan to come back to it later or hope to come back to it later. What are your thoughts on that? I was the second person. I was the second person there. I was the person that um, I put my art aside to the point that I only did art with my children. And for at least 15 years, maybe longer, while my kids were growing up, I gave them everything I could. I had a part-time job, but they were they were basically everything. So I didn't touch any form of art for myself. And it wasn't until, um, I'd like to say, eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I don't know. I think when I went through some severe trauma, I just snapped back into it. And that was it. I said, that was something that I was born to do. Yes, I've been an art teacher for 30 years, but I needed to do my own art. So I did go back into it. You know, I just, it's, it's advice I would, I would give somebody that if you have children, yes, give them your full time, but don't completely give up your career. Don't do that. Don't give up your art, basically, because that's part of you. Is part of you. You have to do it. Yes, yes. I completely agree. As a mother, my as I am a mother, that is one of the things that came up when I um, had my first child. It was as if in my community, in my circle of friends and family, it was expected that I was going to stop making art because that was almost like play, you know, like um don't you don't need to do that anymore you need to focus on your children and I've attempted to do both at the same time and even like bring the kids into the process you know yeah Um, ask them questions kind of get them involved instead of like either separating it completely and saying, okay, I can only do this when they're in bed or they're gone or good luck with that because you're not in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It would be one of those things where I wouldn't have, you know, if I tried to do it that way, I probably wouldn't feel like it when that moment came you know yeah like I was so exhausted that I've you know waited till like the very end of the day and there and it's late I'm trying to like you know which I'm sure you're familiar with too as far as like even being a teacher and how long how much work teacher put teachers put into their career I mean because it's not just you know eight to three o'clock it's all the time you know yeah i know it's more like uh, let's say like five o'clock in the morning until five in the afternoon so it's 12 hour day i get up around five i have i have two pets i have to get them walked fed whatnot and then i have my commute and i'm not a morning person so the morning to me is kind of like a mack truck driving into a wall (laughs) pretty ugly situation around here so, but I have to look bright and happy when I get to the classroom. But yes, it's it's a twelve, it's a ten to twelve hour day. Yeah, yeah. I actually, my my mother and her sister were 
there were ele- elementary school teachers in Alabama. And so I remember my own mother being just exhausted, you know, like, but it wasn't <laughs> like she would come home and it would be done. She had to still kind of grade papers and think about, you know, her lesson plans and what she was going to do next and what she, how she wanted to solve this problem or that problem. And it was all the time. It wasn't like, you know, when all the kids went home, she was done, you know? <laughs> yes. I but get it. Oh, my goodness. True. And if you go into teaching, um, you almost have to be an art teacher if you're an artist. But if you do that, you do have your whole summer off. So the day school lets out, I, that's when most of my art is produced, except for Inktober. Inktober is, can I say a bad word? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's really a bitch month for me because Uh, I work all day and then I come home and have to turn out one drawing every day after work for that Inktober process of 31 drawings and 31 days. And it's like like the Iditarod of my hand. It's like (laughs) all these little dogs are tied to my hand and they're dragging it. But some of my best work has come out of Inktober. Wow. I posted something today. It was called The Narwhals. That was for the number 13 in Inktober. And I thought, how would I look at 13? And I did 13 narwhals swimming in the ocean, jumping into a giant pincushion that was a tomato pincushion. So Inktober really presses you to think. You know, for artists that just get into their own mode, they're drawing skulls every single day and they have a lot of followers. They need to do things like Inktober to kind of broaden their their art muscle. Yeah, I've I've attempted to do Inktober and I think I've actually finished it only one time. But it was one of those things where, you know, it was you get into a mode of doing it. And then for me personally, I would hit one of the prompts would just be like, would just stop me in my tracks. Like I couldn't (laughs) come up with the idea, you know, and it would be like, I would be stuck on that one prompt and I can't get past it. (laughs) My brain was like, Oh no, no, I I can't do that. Oh, it's terrible. It's just, I don't know what kind of crazy person thought that up, but let me tell you, it's, uh, I've dwindled down though. I'm just doing like, I just pick like half of them and I do that. And all the other halves are repeat of the years in the past. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good idea. I think, you know, are you doing like, like how big are your drawings when you're doing one a day like that? Uh, sometimes they're 14 or 14 by 16. And um, that is, that's just totally crazy. That is crazy. I know. It. I, and I'm up till three or four in the morning and I go to work three hours later and I'm like blind and shaking. And the kids are like, oh, Miss Cat can call me. Miss Cat is due and she's back on October. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, why do you do them so big? Why, why is that? Are you? Uh, I, I My smallest drawing is probably about eight by eight. But yeah. I like to draw big because a lot of times I'm laying in bed knowing that I'm going to fall asleep with a drawing on my chest. And it's oh. easier to do big at night. <laughs> Oh, yeah. See, it's those little things, those little habits that you as a person, they sort of steer why you do it the way you do. And I think that's one of the ways that art is unique between different artists, you know, is we all have our own little things that we kind of do. Because I've drawn in bed, too, and I get what you're saying. That makes total sense. (laughs) That's funny. I mean, in October, I wake up sometimes with lines on my face because I fell asleep with a micron open. And it's like, (laughs) I have eyes that didn't poke them out. Or I have all this erasing from a factus, that black eraser dust. And I'll wake yeah. up and go, 
what the, and you know, it's just, I'm like this drug addict in October that's just covered with, you know, dude, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. <laughs> Have you ever had like an Inktober where there was something that just really, it, it was one of those things where you're like, I don't know about this, but it turned out really good. Yeah, I think that every, and some of those are the ones that I love or I've sold the most prints of. Um, that giant um, Blackmore goldfish that's floating above the cats in the ocean. Yes. Just in the you're sticking out. That was one. And I mean, there's so many. And then some have been total fails. Like, yeah. you know, I can't judge. I mean, Instagram has done a whammy with the, um, you know, how many people can see your work now. I mean, I was going from, you know, one, 2,000 up hits a day down to 25 because wow. they've changed the algorithm so much because they want more out of you. They want you to give them money. You know, the whole, well, we should have seen it coming. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, so, but Ink Inktober has been something that pushed me to be more prolific. And it's been something that really exercises my imagination and makes me draw things I normally would not draw. Yeah, good, absolutely. Good yeah. It gives you that like little, that just that little push to think outside of what you would normally pull into your art, you know? Yes. And with your art in particular, then you, you're probably thinking, you know, how can I sort of, pull this into my own story or my own feelings about something. And then you're like trying to add it into and create with, you know, your own style and your own vision and pull that element in. And like, how do you do that? Like, are you, um, you know, just like say like the narwhal thing, you're like, okay, I'm going to do 13 narwhals. How do you decide to do like a tomato pincushion? Well, when I, when I thought of the number 13 and I thought how many people were going to be thinking on that. And I thought, what is 13? It's a number. It could be a number 13, anything. And I was thinking on the first day of Christmas, like that old song. And then I actually made up a whole new song in my head. And they all had different ocean creatures. And I got to 13 and immediately I thought narwhals, 13 narwhals swimming. And I started drawing them in the ocean. And I thought, what if, since they have those needles, they're going to jump into a pin cushion. And I thought of my mother's tomato pin cushion. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened. It just happened. And I'm like, it also, that piece looks like an old scrimshaw to me. It has just a really fun look to it. Yeah. Um, I like nautical art. I like things having to do with the ocean. Part of my heart is in New England. And I love lighthouses. Um, the Three Sisters is another nautical piece with those, those lighthouses looking for their loved ones out in the ocean while they're holding up their dresses. So, yes, yeah. yeah, it's just all these things are you just they just happen. They just ha they're supposed to happen, I think. And I think, too, like in, in some of the cases like when you're drawing say a flower or you know an animal or something and it just morphs into like almost like you're um creating a new kind of flower or a new kind of animal and it's just so interesting like yeah. how you decide to change it I think it's fun to combine imagery it's great I can uh, you can always draw something and get really good at drawing something so it looks like the picture you're taking it from. Yeah. But but I always, it's that extra something that I'm always seeing. When I look at something in reality, I always see more than it. I always see more of what it could be or become yeah. or what I could morph into it and make it even better. Like people would be <laughs> so much People would be so much better for me as an art teacher. I would like to have eight arms. I would like that. Imagine what I could do as an eight-armed art teacher. I mean, I think about it. I'll be, I'll be walking down the hallway in the school 
for lunch? And a kid will say, oh, do you have a pair of scissors? I really do have extra arms hidden under my shirt. And you would have to. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Um, Well, um, do you have like a bit of advice that you would give to, let's say, someone who's really interested in either doing, you know, their art part time or trying to be full time? What, What would your advice be? You know, I, it's such a crazy profession. I've seen some of the best artists that I follow that I am, I'm amazed at their work, absolutely amazed at their work. And they only have 5,000 or 4,000 followers. So it would be really hard advice for me to tell somebody, give everything up so you could be an artist. I think you have to go to school. First of all, if you're going to be an artist, at least a little bit to understand the business aspect of it, if that's what you want to do for a career, you have to be affluent in using um, the Adobe systems. Um, Yeah, I did teach Adobe. I do like to work on I like to work on digital art. I don't have the time it takes. And um, so the, the big thing right now for artists is make sure that it is something that you can actually have some commercial value in as far as creating, not so you prostitute yourself, so all you're drawing is a certain thing to hit a certain niche, but full enough that you can draw enough things that that can get bigger than that niche. Um, That's really important too. Right now with AI, you know, we're all hitting a speed bump and uh, there's a lot of feelings about it. I see people that can't draw a straight line and the AI images that they're putting together from stolen images are astounding. But, you know, in the past, is it Peter Mornbrocker? He was able to do that with just digital painting. And it's for artists like that, that come by their craft, honestly, that uh, Peter Grick, I think that's another one. When they come by that skill that it takes to actually paint and draw with an Adobe system, that is, that's incredible art. But for young artists going out there, they think they're just going to steal everyone else's art and go, wow, they, they are going to have beautiful images. But ask them to do an illustration and they're going to flatline. So I would just tell people, if it's something you want to do, make sure you have a backup plan. You know, yeah. Other means of money. You know, some people are lucky. They'll do something. They're instantly famous. Mm. And it's terrible to think that your career and your art is a crapshoot. But uh, there's some little thing going around Instagram that it says some some artists never will be seen. You know, their art is absolutely stunning. They put their heart into it. And it's never, ever seen, but yet they've still gone through that process. So art is a process. It's almost like a spiritual calling. And if you need to do it, you need to do it. I can't say you're going to be able to pay your bills, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's one of those things that I struggled with as well. And a lot of artists struggle with is. You know, I think we fall in love with the process and the making. And it's like, like you said, like you're addicted. And like you were talking about, you know, doing the Inktober and like you're like you're a drug addict. You're doing all this. You're waking waking up with, you know, eraser crumbs all over or whatever. And yes, you just... It's something, if it's in your heart to do, if you have connected deeply with it and it's something that helps you express yourself and gives you a voice, it's really hard to let go of. And then you really, I think we all hope to do it full time. I mean, maybe not all of us, but um, it's it's the dream, right? To be able to do to just do that (laughs) it is it is and then there's there's always the pet peeve for me is that you'll spend time and you'll do this beautiful piece of art that comes from your heart and you know like I've bought art from other people I know what you can get for 400 500 600 dollars but you'll have someone go oh I absolutely love all the ink work and all the detail 
on that big 24 by 14 foot, I mean, inch piece. And I really want to buy it. They say, I'll contact you right now. I want to buy it. And then you tell them you want five or $600 for it. And they said, really art's that expensive. And I think just a piece of paper I put it on was 30 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so like this isn't the same price as you know when I go into the store and there's like millions of the same thing. Flying <laughs> poster, please. Oh, oh my goodness. And I also think too, with like specifically with pen and ink and your drawing with microns, that little bitty tip of that pen is your is your brush. You're not able to make huge, large, sweeping strokes and cover half your paper. <laughs> You're making tiny little marks, and it takes forever to do some some of those things. And it yeah. just amazes me. Like, your output, especially as a teacher, I mean, you're really doing a lot of work. It's yeah, amazing. I know. I have to slow down. My eyesight has gotten... It's really paid for six or seven Inktobers, let me tell you. And <laughs> I've never needed glasses, but I think I do now. Um, huh. It's it's tough, but yeah, it's 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 very microns are tiny, and when you get into that stippled work, you know, the little dot work. Oh, yeah. I prefer line work. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite artists online, and I have many. I have many that I absolutely love. Um, you know, Bill Ross is is one. Bill Ross, your Bill Ross. I have one of his pieces in my bedroom, which I absolutely love. And um, and then Lemay, who's so so whimsical and so much fun. But I love their art, their line work, and their ink work. It's amazing. But Bill is probably the most insane stippling artist I've ever looked at. Like when I look at this original in my bedroom, my mind wants to melt. It's just, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> He's such a craftsman. So yeah, I, I, I have my loves of other artists. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, um, like who, I mean, you mentioned those two artists. Are there anyone any others that are particularly like just so inspiring to you? Chris Von Ellsberg is oh, one. Yeah. I love, love, love his illustrations. I really love book illustrations. Um, I'm trying to think of that famous illustrator. My brain's drawing a blank. Um, you know, I follow Enchanted. I think her, her space is called Enchanted Books or Enchanted Booklet on Instagram. Yeah. And I mean, this particular person that posts these illustrations has quite a uh, background knowledge of illustration. And those are the illustrations, many of which I grew up with, that illustrated those big hardcovered books. And they were so beautiful. And yeah. so most of the things she posted are things that have inspired me as a child, which is which is kind of interesting. Um. But yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of people out there, and I think you know with with the internet, your mind just kind of gets with all your favorites. <laughs> it's like oh, I love that, I love that, I love that. <laughs> I I'm trying to think now. Is there a piece of mine that you you particularly like more than any others? I do. I really love. The one that um, I want to say, uh, I can't remember the name of it. You may not have it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like uh, of the woman's uterus. And I think that's one of the ones that Ooh. was. The last egg. Yes, the last egg. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I did that when I had my last egg and I was very emotionally distraught. And I just thought of how, how that must, how that feels for every woman that goes through that to be, you know, at the bottom of your life and starting to fade back to dust and to what we were, you know, I think someone said we're made of stardust. Yeah. You know, and, and just that last egg being, what 
what made you a woman. Yeah. You know, a woman is this a whole definition of I, I see women as being all sorts of things. And an egg doesn't really define or having ovaries or uterus doesn't define whether you're a woman or not. Yeah. But when you are born a woman and you have that last egg, it's 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 significant. It's significant. You know, yeah. probably, it could be said it could be significant for anything that's the last of. For me, the last chocolate in the box kind of has that same power. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> no. Trader Joe's. Go. Yeah. go. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah, that one really spoke to me. I don't. You know, it was one of those things where, and I'm, you know, like, I am older, and I'm kind of going into, you know, like, I'm mid-40s, so I'm in this this middle place where I'm like, oh, it's like the beginnings of being older and kind of accepting, you know, okay, this is happening, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think women's women's rights are mean a lot to me, sure. and I won't get into any of that. But I a lot of my pieces, I would say one in ten, if not two in ten, of my pieces have to do with social injustice, having to do with people having rights. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really, really important. Well, thank you so much, Kat, for talking to me today. I have really enjoyed it. I'm honored, and it was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Talk with April. For more information on this episode, join the Facebook group, The Art Lounge. Please subscribe and share. See you next Tuesday. Hope you have a great week.